Welcome to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus. And I'm David Silver, and we're very happy that you've tuned us in again. And we are, uh, this is actually the uh, uh, opportunity that we had uh, to do several podcasts on location, and uh, we are one of the people that we managed to, we've been talking about uh, it being with Ram Das and Krishna Das, and uh, we happen to have uh, one of the attendees, actually, to the retreat, a good friend of Ram Das's. Uh, his name is Mickey Lemley, and he did this incredible film that has turned on so many people called Fierce Grace, and it's about uh, what happened to Ram Das after he had that massive stroke and almost died in the late 90s. And uh, uh, we were real... For- David knows him pretty well, so you talk well, about Well, we were really lucky to get Mickey because, in my opinion, he's really unique. Um, I've made films about spiritual matters. It's very difficult to make a documentary about such things. In fact, it's enjoyable, but it's not necessarily... doesn't get through all the time. And he did with Fierce Grace, because here is a film not only about one of the greatest teachers of our time, but about the uh, situation he found himself in after a major stroke. And Mickey's film is just, you know, is just state-of-the-art in terms of all of those matters, all of those serious matters. Mickey's also made many films, actually, and got many awards. One of his most interesting and compelling films is a film called Compassion in Exile, the story of the 14th Dalai Lama. Like it's hard to imagine a more important subject in our day, in our time than that. And uh, it was, it was a, a very, very successful film in terms of critics and everybody else. Uh, Mickey's, you know, he's got Emmys, he's got Golden Eagle Awards, he's a successful filmmaker, but more important than that, he's focused upon matters of, of the heart and spirit and managed to make films that are incredibly articulate and moving about those subjects. So we're kind of honored to have him, and he's a friend and a lovely guy. So um, there he was in, 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 at the retreat, and we were, we were happy to talk to him. Uh, just to di- di- digress for a moment, it's not really a digression. If you want to support us, and we hope you do, um, you can use two portals uh, on the um, mind-rolling site that will take you either to audible.com, the, uh, the audiobook company, preeminent audiobook, or Amazon, which we all know about. And it makes it possible for you to... Um, oh, dear. Um, what was that? <laughs> What was that? Don't worry so, about it. It's just a podcast. It's I just thought, it's, I just thought some, no, somebody's no, I hammering just, outside my. Someone's hammering. Okay. What can I do? You know? Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I, that's fine. It just stopped me in my tracks for a minute. But anyway, if you go actually to audio audio uh, audible yeah. audible <laughs> slash mind rolling audible trial dot com slash mind rolling, or you just go to iSide and hit it. Uh, you can buy a free book for a month from them, or not buy, you can get a free book from them for a month and then afterwards buy them. Every time you get th- something through them, we get a, a small percentage and it helps us continue with the podcast. Same goes for the Amazon portal. Well, wait, wait. Here's a perfect example. Uh, you're talking about Mickey Lemley, and I mentioned that movie Fierce Grace. And folks, go to our site. This is something you're going to enjoy for sure. Go to our site and you'll see the Amazon banner. We'll just link to it and look up Fierce Grace and get a copy of that movie and invite your friends over. I mean, it is a truly amazing 
heart connecting uh film about Ramdas and it's it's more than about Ramdas it's about somebody who got us you know I'm, I mean he just about died he had a massive stroke and how he came back from that and his relationship with the faith losing faith getting it back um how to deal I mean Ramdas is uh I mean, we, many of you know who he is and his gift. He was the Lenny Bruce or, or he had the gift of gab like nobody had and talked about, uh, you know, so many people came to uh, understand how to how to trod onto this path of life uh, because of him. And can you imagine that was taken away from him in one second? And how he dealt with it, this afterwards. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, it's an amazing film. So, by doing so, you will get all the enjoyment of uh, watching this uh, beautiful film and help out us little guys here at MindGrowlingPodcast.com. So, um, yeah. So, to uh, so listen to our conversation with Mickey and uh, see what you think about it. Uh, he's he's he knows a lot and he tells us a lot about what what he's been doing. Very interesting, right? Right. Yep. Here you go. Mickey Lemley on location with Mind Rolling. Hello again. This is Mind Rolling with me, David Silver, and Raghu Marcus, and a great guest. Great guest. And a great spot. I mean, we're in a great yeah. spot. The guest is Mickey Lumley. The spot is Maui, the Open Your Heart in Paradise retreat. We're all hanging with Ram Das, Krishna Das, having a wonderful time and mm. sitting with some of the teachers. And then we found our friend here. He was wandering outside. <laughs> we got him in, though. Okay, you. Uh, but you know, Mickey, of course, is com is known by many of you. We get uh, in my dual role as. Uh, director of the Love Serve Remember Foundation. Um, so I do get uh, a lot of mail that I, I get to see and a lot of people honestly say, we saw Fierce Grace and it absolutely changed our lives, our perspective, the whole thing. This is the truth. You already know this because you get tons of feedback yourself, but it's a pretty amazing vehicle, um, this film. So. Um, love for you to talk about how did it how did it come i don't even know how i mean i've known mickey forever <clears throat> i don't know how it came about the actual genesis let's start there well i've i've known ramdas for 35 years um <clears throat> i first met him on martha's vineyard in the early 70s i was there visiting a friend of mine peter simon and he said hey you got to come hear this guy and he, he said it's, his name's ramdas and he's speaking in the local church in vineyard haven and i thought a, a white guy named Ramdas speaking in a church. I said, "Okay, I'll sit in the back on the aisle, and I'll you know give it about <laughs> fifteen minutes." And I was transfixed for three and a half hours. My mind never wandered to the past or the future. And I, he was such a brilliant storyteller. And what was amazing about it was that there was no hiatus between the form and the content of what he spoke about that night. Mm. It was basically mm. that we are both human and divine simultaneously, and we have to hold uh, the tension in those things. And his stories were exactly that. He, he would talk about his own personal experience, falling down on the path, his mess-ups and so forth, and then go to the these metaphysical realms and discuss them in a way mm. that I finally could understand them, having you know read all these books but never quite right. getting mm. it. And I thought, okay, anytime he's giving speaking in a city that I'm in, I'll go hear him. Mm. And then it 
became a flight at Esalen to spend a weekend with him. And, and over the years, we became friends. And um, uh, he was working on a slide tape at one point that he was trying to put together. And every, a whole bunch of mutual friends kept saying, you got to talk to Mickey about this. You know, he was having some problems with structure. So I watched it, and I said, you know, it's great. You just have to take the beginning and move it to the end, take the end, put it in the middle. <laughs> and <clears throat> I, you know, restructured it so it would work. <clears throat> and he was a little bit uh, taken aback at first, but then he tried it, and he saw that it actually worked. And... Um, and then he um, he performed the, the marriage of me and my ex-wife, mm-hmm. um, and I uh, wouldn't give me any money back when it failed. <laughs> um, um, and and then I, in uh, 1992, I came out with the first major movie about the Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. and one of the early screenings was at this big international. Uh, conference that was being held in Prague, the ITA conference, International Transpersonal Association conference, that was being held in Prague that year, and he was one of the speakers. And <clears throat> I, had, I had just just finished the movie, and so this was one of the first big audiences. Mm-hmm. And he sat right in the front row. And after the movie, he came up to me and he said, "I love this movie." He said, "I want you to bring it to my next retreat. I want you to talk about it. I want you to talk about Tibet." And I said, "Okay, but you're next." And he said, "No, no, 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 no." And so then, a few years later, I was at another conference, this time in Manaus, in the middle of the Amazon, in Brazil. And he also was one of the speakers. And I showed this movie that I had just finished about Sir Lawrence Vanderpost, a wonderful South African explorer and mm-hmm. philosopher. And after the movie came up, he said, I love this movie. He said, I need copies of it to give to these people. I want you to show it at my next mm-hmm. retreat. Oh. And I said, OK, Baba, but you're next. He said, no, 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 I'm not ready, not ready. So a few, few weeks after the conference, he wrote me a letter, and he said, Someday someone will make a movie about me, and it should be you, but I'm not ready. I'm, I'm changing how I do things and so on. And then after the stroke, a couple of months after he got out of the hospital, I went to visit him up in Marin. Mm. And we were just hanging out on the porch for the afternoon, and toward the end of the afternoon, I said, Baba, maybe we should make this movie. And he said, okay. And so so I, when I got back to New York, I, I wrote to him, because I didn't want to take advantage of him or anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, I think this is what we agreed to. And he wrote back and said, yeah, let's do it. And one of the things um, that he said to me on the porch that day was he said, this is not who I thought I was going to be because my vision of myself old didn't have a stroke in it. Mm-hmm. He said, if I think about who I was supposed to be or who I used to be, it just brings up tremendous suffering for me. He mm-hmm. said, but if I just rest in awareness, I'm in bliss. Mm-hmm. And in a strange way, it mirrored artistically what I had to do in making the movie because I'd been carrying around a movie for eight years in my head. I knew just how to structure it. And, and for, for the non-filmmakers out there, film's all about structure. It, it's, it's, it's really about how you tell the story yeah. and how you give the audience information they need to have an emotional involvement and then finally reaction to it. And so I, I knew how I would structure this movie for eight years. I, I knew what stories of his I wanted. I knew how the order, I knew all that stuff. And I c- he couldn't do any of that because he, he couldn't tell any of the old stories. It would take him 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to wait around, you know. Um, so I, I had to let go of all of the stuff that I had been carrying around and just see what was in front of me every day. And and um, and then, then that's what we filmed. and. Over over several a couple of years basically, mm. yeah. and uh, and so the film sort of grew and evolved. But it was just what was in front of me. Do you have any idea of the effect that this would have? Forget about just 
what a wonderful uh, impression of a man going through something like this and coming out the other side. I mean, that's fierce grace. But the, uh, my surprise, not surprise, but so many people deeply transformed. I mean, again, I, 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 had you any idea? You know, you always, I mean, when I start a project, I always hope that that it'll make people laugh, it'll make them cry, and if they're open to it, it could change their lives for the better. And this movie just touched people so profoundly, so deeply. Mm. I mean, we, we opened it theatrically in New York City. It was just after 9-11, and um, the, the, after the opening night, there was, uh, people crowded around and you know, told me about how much they liked the movie and so forth. And there's this big burly guy in, in the back, and he was just waiting for, every, for, the, for everybody to sort of finish. And when everybody had left, he came up to me and he said, I'm a New York City fireman, and I lost 100 friends on 9-11. Mm. He said this was the first time I was able to really feel the grief. Mm. Really? And, and so, so then I was able to talk the theater owners into letting any uh, policemen or firemen or, or their families in for free. Mm. And, and, and the number of, of, of people and, and messages and letters and emails that both Ramdas and I get over the years of, of people saying, uh, it just happened to me recently, this woman came up to me and said, I lost my beautiful 18-year-old daughter in a snowstorm last winter in, in a car accident. She said, it was only seeing your movie mm -hmm. every day that got me through. And, and I know Ramdas has gotten a bunch of people. Yeah, uh, but I, I'll tell you, I'm talking about people that nothing tragic has happened to them. They've actually been, the transformation has been into a spiritual realm of, of just not having real contact, especially since he's been, you know, way broadly more out there through Oprah interviews and all that stuff. So there's people that don't know the backstory at all and don't have any, tra just suddenly they were confronted with, wow, there's, there's, there's a real way for, to have compassion for people. There's a real way to open your heart. You know, that, alone, that kind of, I want to ask you one other thing, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm happy with, 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 Well, I, I just say that he has helped more people open their hearts than anybody I know, yeah. you know, in, in his 50 years of, of right. teaching. Yeah. And, you know, and he, is, he has been the way in to a sense of, for people, for a sense of their own spirits, as much as anybody that I've ever met. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Now, what, uh, the one more thing that I wanted to ask was, he speaks about Fierce Grace, that he originally, in the making, during the making of this movie, Fierce Grace, what it meant to him was, he was given a stroke by his guru, and then it got, you know, converted. But he was, that's the, it was a fierce grace. It was, he did, got this, this happened to him from his guru, and then he realized that it was grace, he could become more quiet, less, you know, in the, fu in the future or the past and so on. Then two years, you know, he spoke about it actually at this retreat, and you were there. And we've talked about it, but when he was told by the resident saint now, you know, at uh, his guru, our guru's temples, he was told Maharaji would never give you a stroke. That is illusion. You, the stroke was nature, whatever your karma was. And he's, and he's like realized, okay, well, then what I did get, what the f grace was, to be able to have the awareness to have a different perspective to deal with it. Yes. But is it true that during the film, I mean, in your knowledge, the making of the film, he, it was Maharaji gave him that stroke? 
Well, he, yeah, I mean, he said in, in, in Still Here, he said, I was stroked by mm. my guru. Yeah. Mm. And what he said, what he said in the movie, I, I believe it's in one of the interviews, is he said, after being with Maharaji, coming back from India, he saw everything in his life as Maharaji's grace. So if he, if he was driving to the mm. post office and said, God, I hope I find a parking space in front, and if there was a parking space, he would say, thank you, Maharaji. He saw everything, everybody who came into his life as Maharaji's grace. So that when the stroke happened, then he had to reconcile everything is his guru's mm -hmm. grace and the stroke. And, and mm -hmm. he was trying to hold both. And that was very tricky in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And then he saw that that it was grace, but it was fierce grace. It was a he called it heavy grace and, and at one point fierce grace. Yeah. And that's when I, I was gonna call it being here now, and then all of a sudden I heard that and I thought, okay, that's the title. Yeah, right, yeah. But mm -hmm. um but you know, my 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 uncle had exactly the same stroke. He he was paralyzed on his right side. Mm. He he had speech aphasia. All he could say was basically two things: "What's the deal?" and "Bullshit." <laughs> now in New York, that gets you through eighty percent of your conversations. <laughs> right. But but he woke up in hell every morning mm. because uh, he'd been a, a bomber pilot during the war. He could he skied six months of the year, he could do chin-ups on the door jam. I mean, he was physically incredibly fit. He loved drinking and eating great food and beautiful women. And, and, and here he is with this, his body, you know, was not who he thought he was supposed to be. And he woke up in hell every morning mm -hmm. for the last five years of his life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the thing that Ram Dass has shown us, and, and I, I honestly believe, and I have no way of knowing this, but for the first two months after the stroke, he was in the hospital with tubes going in and out. He couldn't swallow, couldn't eat, couldn't speak. Mm. Um, and and mm. the doctor said, the, the attending doctor said, he's either going to be like this or he's going to die. He's never mm. going to make any improvement. <laughs> and I think it was touch and go whether or not he was going to live. And one day, um, a, a friend went to see him who'd been seeing him every day. And he came out and he said, he wants to live. And I believe mm. that he decided, he made a decision that he would come back and go through all of the incredibly painful rehabilitation and the therapies and all that and the, and the inconveniences and the, and the all of that, all the dependencies and all the changes that he's had to go through to tell us what it's, what it's like and that you can do it in a way other than my uncle did it, which right. was this, yeah. and that's the, the that's grace the, is, yeah, that's the, the fierce grace, yeah. is, is that you, even with this, you can still have this amazing life. I mean, yeah. this last chapter has, yeah. has validated all of his earlier teachings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and for someone who's been teaching more or less for 50 years, yeah. to have, you know, I, I remember when I first started the movie, I, I was speaking to this woman, at a reception, who'd known Ramdas from from Harvard days, you know, oh mm. Richard, Richard, yeah. and she said, you know, sometimes I'd listen to his talks, and I wasn't sure if I totally believed everything he said. Mm. She said, looking at the way he's been dealing with the stroke, I now believe him. Oh, that's uh, such right, a big right, point. Right. Oh, and yeah. so to validate yeah. all of his yeah, teaching yeah. Yeah, right. is fierce grace. You know, right. I mean, he's, he had to pay a, a hell of a price to get there, but right. yeah. but that's yeah. Yeah. fierce yeah. grace. Yeah. That, that's what that, that night I changed the title. Right. I bet. I bet. Oh, what was it? Heavy Grace? Heavy yeah, Grace? Fierce Grace. Fierce, well, before that. Before that, it was Being Here Now. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, and, and, and that was the working title. And then after I had that conversation with the woman, I, I changed the title. Do you, do you think that part of the sort of magnetism 
of your film. It's because, it's not just, like Roger was saying, it's not just people who've got similar circumstances. But for me, it gives you perspective on much lesser things that, drive you, that are driving you crazy. In other words, you know, how many of us are in a wheelchair who were one of the greatest speakers on the history of the planet, articulators of the language, who stopped from, that's, we don't have to say how fierce that is. But for someone who's just got little problems here and there, like most people have most of the time, you see a film like this, it puts you in your place, kind of. Well, you know, do, you, do you agree? No, no. When I first yeah. finished the film, when I, right when I, you know, I, um, I was very curious about the, the response, um, especially of younger people. And, and uh, my nephew was in an acting class in uh, Santa Monica, and his his uh, teacher was a huge. That's where we. Yeah, at the airport. At the airport. You're. you're, you're <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's now I remember. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and he he invited me to cut to show the movie. His, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. That's where we and were. And at that point, I, you know, I was really curious to see what twenty year olds would think of it. You know, I remember you telling they, me that. <laughs> that they didn't, amazing. you know, they didn't know from him. They didn't know from the sixties. Right. Yeah. They yeah. they were twenty year olds and they're actors, so you know, <laughs> um, and and this one girl was crying at the end, and she said, "Everybody who thinks they're suffering should see this movie." Right. Mm. Right. 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 All right, your turn to change the channel. Not really, because, you know, this is just such a big thing to talk about. You know, perspective, like, as you're saying, that this morning at the um, Mala giving with Ram Dass, we were all, you know, moved beyond anything you can say. It was just beyond, I can't even articulate language about it, because it's an incredible feeling. And from that I want to ask about, you know, Spirituality as a whole is a, a, a weird subject to make films about because it's not exoteric, it's esoteric, if you mm -hmm. like. You can't show objects and so that. But you overcame that in Fierce and in other films, which we'll talk about in a minute. But can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I, I've been thinking about this subject for 30 years, uh, about how to make movies about spiritual matters. And the, the, what I think is that, that, that well, spiritual... Uh, consciousness shifts are an internal event, and movies, by their nature, are about external action, right. and and so that that's the dilemma. Mm, right. And and the other thing is, I think that that spiritual a, gain, a gaining spiritual enlightenment is a lot like picking your nose. It's fine when you're doing it yourself, but watching someone else do it isn't that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, great. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, watching a bunch of people sitting around getting enlightened is like really boring movie. <laughs> and, and, uh, the, the, so, so the art form is to find metaphors mm. that reflect the spirit, the internal, mm. uh, 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 transformations, but through external action. So one of my other movies that I made is about the men who went to the moon and right. what happened to them spiritually on their journeys and then what happened in the 20 years after in their lives. Because there's a visual, it's a visual metaphor, there's, you know, you, yeah. you can see it, but it, it reflects the internal changes. Um, uh, the film I did on the Dalai Lama, again, it, it, it was about how he con was confronting the Chinese invasion right. and, and genocide of his people. Um, so, so it's about external action, but it was also about in, in internal transformation. So, yeah. so that's the whole thing. I mean, um, otherwise you get into the, you know, somebody. I mean, the thing is, if you could have somebody sitting on a rock for and film them, you know, for a half hour, and then yeah. all of a sudden they get enlightened, and how would you know, right? No, but well, that's but this is 
I mean, Fierce Grace is an absolutely unique situation. Yes. I mean, obviously people have strokes and people who are articulate who have strokes, but people who've experienced a, a great ascended master who articulated about that, it's like making a film about spiritual and did it for us. Was, he talked about Maharaji in a way that people like me who didn't meet him got it. And it's kind of like the same thing. He was so brilliant, is so brilliant, at letting us know what happened along with his satsang brothers and sisters, our satsang brothers and sisters. It's sort of like the same story, you know. He was able to transcend just mouthing cliches about light and love and granola and never did that. He was always essentially pragmatic. Right? Well, well, he, he, you agree? he was the, he was the, I've known three brilliant storytellers in my life. And, and he was Joseph Campbell, um, Ram Dass, and Spalding Gray. Mm -hmm. And when any of them would tell a story, my mind never wandered. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, and, I, and I'm, I'm very strict. I mean, I, you know, I, my mind wanders pretty quickly if somebody's boring, you know. And, and he was, he... he well, you know, the, I mean, I worked with Spalding, and I made a record with him. And the thing about Spalding and Ram Dass that's similar was that they're both blindingly honest at all times. Spalding particularly. Genius, really. And yes. Very spiritual, actually. His interview with His Holiness is one of the most interesting things I've ever read. You know, I mean, Spaulding, when he interviewed him, was entirely different from anybody else except Larry King. Yeah. Remember yeah. the Larry King? But Larry yeah. King was not a good interviewer. No, not, not, no. Not, Spaulding but, was great. But, but, but when Ramdas Ram had, you know, had, has this unbelievable ability to articulate things that nobody else can in that way. That's right. You know, with humor, self... It's, mm. And the thing is, like, like when I interview these great beings, like the Dalai Lama, let's say, mm. and they say something that's a, that's a big general statement about the nature of things, and you, you hear it and you go, oh, I, I need to write that down and, mm. and put it on my refrigerator so that that's the first thought I have every morning. Right. I'm going to get my friend who does calligraphy to do a really nice version <laughs> of it, and, and then I'm going to put it right on the refrigerator, and so every morning... Before I have my tea, I'm going to read that, and it'll set up my whole day, and my life will change. Mm -hmm. So the first morning you read it, you go, God, that is so true. And then the second morning you go, I need the milk. And, and, and the thing is that, that big general statements, mm -hmm. actually, they, they're not rooted. So when the Dalai Lama, for instance, if I was interviewing him, and he would say one of these great general station, uh, statements, mm -hmm. I would, the follow-up question would be, and when did that happen in your life? When did that occur in your life? Tell me about that time. Because what I would always do is root those big ideas into mm -hmm. personal right. experience. Right. And when they're rooted in personal experience, then you can't argue with them. You can't mm -hmm. say that's not true. Mm -hmm. Because the person said, that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. You can argue with ideas. You can argue with, um, in the case of the Dalai Lama, with, with political positions. Yeah. But you can't, you can't argue with experience. If somebody says, this is what happened to me, and I cried, mm -hmm. you can't say, well, no, you didn't really feel that. Right. Tell us something. I mean, no, you can't if you're married to them, but... That's <laughs> Tell us something about His Holiness. Something, you know, personal experience. Yeah, anything. anything. He, he is one of the funniest people I know. He always surprises me with, with incredible humor. And, and he has one of the most amazing minds on the planet. I mean, he's, the, 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 the breadth of what his understanding is, the depth of what his understanding is, and his humor about it is, is irresistible. And he's the in my in my mind he's the real thing. Okay, you have to root that in your story. Personal experience. Yeah. Well, I went I went to see him. Uh, my, the the 
the movie I made about him, Compassionate Exile, was like the first <clears throat> major um, movie about him that that was that was done, and it, it showed all over the world and and was quite well received. And I was I was, I was invited to the Bombay Film Festival, mm. and it, it did very well there. And and then um, the, then there was a, a week hiatus, and I was invited to the first Kathmandu Film Festival. Wow. To show the movie, and in between, I had a week, and it happened to be Tibetan New Year, and so I went up to Dharamsala to hang out, and I was staying with his brother, um, his younger brother, who's also a, a recognized, uh, a reincarnated yes. uh, Rinpoche. And one morning at four in the morning, he said, "Get up, get up!" I said, "What?" what? He said, "Come with me, come with me." And we drive up, and and there, we, and we're sitting on the the roof of his temple, and he's the Dalai Lama's there with a hundred monks and they're chanting bringing in the, the dawn and the new year mm. and they're throwing <laughs> barley and mm. drinking chai and mm. and just as the, as the sun rose an eagle landed right behind him on you know yeah. over his shoulder and anyway a, a, a day later I, I got to have a private audience with him and um, we were talking about the movie and it was him and me and his main assistant and we were having a, a private audience and um, I was going to ask him about Sir Lawrence Vanderpost. I was just starting that movie, and one of the things that Sir Lawrence talked about, which may, uh, drew me to make the movie, was about the violence committed by righteous victims. And so I thought I would talk to him about that. But then, you know, I'm, as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, Mickey, you've got this, you know, you, every time you were with him, it was professional. I was always thinking about the movie. Mm. And I never really, and I, and I filmed a lot of people opening up about the deepest question in their heart. And, oh, when, when anybody was about to meet him for the first time, they would say, what do I, what do, what do I say? And I, I said, always come with a question. And I, say, I would say, ask him the deepest question in your heart. Don't waste it on, how about those Knicks? You know, it's it's like, and, and that would start them on their own little journey as to what's the deepest question mm -hmm. in my heart at this moment in my life. Right. And and so I, the deepest question was about my divorce, which was we, we'd been trying for a, a year and a half to mediate it, and just before I left on the trip, my future ex-wife said uh, we were this close to having a settlement, and she thought if if um, if he wants to do it, it must be bad for me. So she turned it over to Mia Farrow's lawyer, <laughs> who was this <laughs> yes, yes. terrible human being. Yeah. And um, and I, I was really depressed because I was trying to we had we had a three year old son and I was trying to keep it out of court and all this sort of thing, and I and so I, I asked him about it and hmm. and he, you know I said what do you do with someone who brings up anger all the time and he said well who is it and then you know I went through all this thing and and I thought he was going to give me like a Tara meditation you know where you visualize a Tara on your head <laughs> the dripping green and you know and he said he said you know you have to stand up for what's right. He said, you cannot let people roll over you. Hmm. He said, just don't be attached to the outcome. And, he, you know, he said, if I think about going back to Tibet every day, he said, it's, I can't do that. I just have to, every day have to do something to get back. Hmm. But, but, but I don't worry about the outcome. And in fact, as you know, that's the essence of the Bhagavad Gita. It's, 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 what, yeah. it's what Krishna says to Arjuna. Mm -hmm. It's like, you do your job impeccably and leave the outcome to us. Yeah. And, and, and so that was... <laughs> he gave you the Bhagavad Gita, is all he was. Yeah, in, <laughs> in, a, in a Buddhist kind yeah, of way. Yeah. Buddhist way. Mm. But anyway, so... Well, let's, let's just do this. You're doing another film, uh, or an adaptation, of, a renewal. A, 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 a new movie, yeah. What's, what's new? Well, a lot's changed in 20 years. Yeah. You know, when I first made the movie 20 years ago, 
nobody really knew very much about him. They didn't know very much about Tibet or what was going on in Tibet. And I thought, uh, naively, I thought if the world just knew about it, it would have to change. Mm. That the first step in any kind of transformation is observation or information. So I, th so I thought the best way to bring world attention to what was going on in Tibet was through, through his story. So if I just told it, you know, because contained in his stories right. is right. the whole situation right. with China and so forth. Yeah. But with an emotional, it, it's not an issue movie. It's, right. an, it's an emotional thing. And huh. I, I don't know if this is, but when PBS, when I, when I first, I've been making movies for PBS since the early 70s. And so I, I did series for them and all specials and, you know, and I sent it down to them when it was an idea on paper. And they sent it back and said no. And, then I went and filmed it, and British Television came in as a co-producer, and we filmed it, and I sent it down, and they said no. So finally, when it was done, I sent it down. And um, I got a call from PBS, and I said, we're concerned about your journalism. Huh. And I said, what time tomorrow morning can I come see you? And they said 11. I said, fine. I took the plane down, went, so I said, what's your problem? They said, well... You don't really present the Chinese point of view oh, in a way okay. that an open-minded open yeah. viewer could make up their own mind. Yes. And I said, you know, being Jewish, it's really hard to make a case for genocide, <laughs> which she missed completely. It just went right over her head. Oh, yeah. And then I said, but, but you know, this is not an issue movie. This is not Tibet, the Tibetan China, the issue. I said, this is a portrait of an individual human being. Okay. And it's his story. It's not. It's not an issue story. This is what's happened to him in his life. Mm. So they were. They finally put it on. Was but this GBH or no? NK? This was PBS in in Washington. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. So they they finally put it on, and um, and uh, it did really well. And I believe the movie has shown every day since I released it twenty years ago. Yeah. And and the reason it's a little bit of a cheat because. There's a tea shop in Dharamsala and a tea shop in Kathmandu <laughs> yeah. that shows it every afternoon at four. <laughs> well, but but I was making fun. a movie with my son in Bhutan a couple of years ago, and he came back from a marketplace. He said, "Dad, they've got your movie." <laughs> it was a bootleg copy that they were selling <laughs> in the bazaar there. So. Well, this is uh, tremendous. I mean, who you've worked with, your life's yeah. work, what it's been involved with, Mickey is. Uh, and Talk you're a true inspiration. This is great. Yes. A television show in Boston, I believe. I, I was totally yeah. inspired. In, when I was a student at Brandeis in 1968, there was a program on called What's Happening, Mr. Silver. And it was so <laughs> radical and such a breakthrough yeah. that it led me to think, well, if he can do it, I, anybody can do it. Well, listen, we're going to end on that note. If he can do it, anybody can do it. My buddy, Dave. Uh, well, but we really thank you. to thank Mickey. the amazingly articulate... It's an amazing filmmaker who's articulate about his films, or her films. Yeah, you, no, very you, much People so. usually aren't. You know, yeah. I loved everything you said. Yeah, well, thank thanks you. for the offering. Thank and you. Uh, that's it from uh, Mind Rolling, episode... God only knows. We're here in Maui. We have no idea, Dave, what time it's 15, 16, by. or 17. I'm not trying to be practical. It's December 2012. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mickey Lemley and uh, quite a bunch of interesting different information. We weren't even knowing what he was going to talk about. And I loved when he talked about uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama because I love that being so much and and he had this personal interaction with him that was just terrific uh, so uh, 
he is um, an accomplished, amazing guy, Mickey. Yeah, and you can count the number of great films about, shall we say, spiritual matters on just a few hands, actually. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, Werner Herzog's done some great work there and, and so on. But Mickey Lumley uh, has to be praised for doing a, a film that got through to a lot of people who, who really didn't know much about Ramdas and certainly didn't know much about what it was like to deal with a, a stroke so uh, and, and come out of it uh, even higher, you know. Mickey did that. So uh, thanks, Mickey, for doing that with us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll remind you one more time to... Go to MindRolling, uh, our website, MindRolling Podcast, and check out the portals, Amazon and Audible, uh, to get books or anything else you want from those guys, tapes, whatever they sell, cars, you know. <laughs> and, and every time you get something through our portal, it helps support this podcast, which we assume you like or you wouldn't be listening. You'd be, you know, watching uh, I Want to Be a Millionaire or something on television. So... Um, Dave wants to be a millionaire, so yeah. you, if you do buy a Porsche or a Ferrari or something on Amazon, I mean, boy, that'll that percentage could could put him well on his way. I mean, yeah, it's called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, actually, and it's a good it's a good show. But I'm glad why do you want to be? I'm glad you're listening to us and not watching it right now. <laughs> well, and we uh, look forward to joining you again uh, next week on Mind Rolling Podcast dot com. 